At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warmer brother below. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast Coast with myself, Greg Eats Peters. And now, part of the Visa Family Podcast, we've got a tremendous podcast for you as in segment number two, we're going to be joined by one of our good friends, Jeff Parles. He does great work over here at Visa. And interesting little note because I've been doing the Greg Peterson experience on the weekend this week, and you're going to get more of me next weekend as well. He's actually going to be filling in for me Monday and Tuesday. Jeff typically does the weekend, so he is going to be the second ever filling host on the Greg Peterson Experience. So we've got to give a little bit of love to that. We've got to give some love to what we are going to be seeing in a rather rambunctious Sunday in college basketball as well. I'll get his thoughts on everything that we've seen here in this college basketball week as it has been a crazy one. And we're going to have some fun chatting with one of the best in the business and Jeff. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does that matter? So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had some very fascinating Friday night games, and that extended into Saturday. So let's take a look back at everything that we saw, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. We're going to go back to a little bit of what we saw in the first round as well. If you, like me, had Drake, that was just absolutely brutal as they were up 55-47, to 5.40 remaining. And then they get outscored 16-1 to in the final 4.30 to blow that game. I mean, you give Miami credit. They won that game with having Isaiah Wong and Jordan Miller combined for 12 points. But good grief, that was not great to say the least if you're on Drake. 7-24 from three-point range and Tucker DeVries. 1-13 of 13 from the floor. That was costly as no Chad O'Meara. Credit where credit is due. He looked relatively close to 100%. TCU with Mike Miles getting a little bit banged up in the game against Arizona State. So got the job done. 72 to 70. Arizona State goes 8 of 17 from three-point range, but well ran drive for them in the second half. 44 points in the first half, 26 in the second half. We have seen it from this TCU defense in the past as 
For TCU, they did have Mike Miles go off for 26 points. He was able to overcome some of the ailments that he was feeling. And for TCU, they won the turnover battle 13-5 to to carry the day there. Kent State was one of your most profitable teams in all of college basketball all season long, but they just ran out of gas when it came to their game against Indiana. Indiana was able to get the job done by kind of 71-60. to My big fear coming into this game for Kent State was how were they going to be able to match up with Trace Jackson Davis? And the answer was... Not great for Trace Jackson Davis, 24 points, 11 boards, 5 blocks, 5 assists. He was able to do his job. Now, for Kent State, you take a look at them against the spread, and they close up shop being one of your most profitable teams in all of college basketballs. They went 20-12-1 against the spread, but... And that doesn't make you feel any better. As Ray Thompson, he had 20 points as well. And for Kent State, they actually won the offensive rebound battle in this game as they had 19 offensive rebounds. They just couldn't throw the ball in the bucket in this one. You also did have Kansas State win and cover against Montana State. This by kind of 77 to 65. Kansas State, by the way, now 22 and 11 against the spread. As for Kansas State, they went just 4 of 15 for three point range. But Marquis Noel, 17 points, 14 assists. Just absolutely ridiculous when he was able to do at Montana State. If you took them to cover 9 of 17 at the free line. And for those of you guys who followed the Circa Invitational, for one, all the credit in the world for Will Hill for winning that contest. I feel very good about him being able to win it because I do grind through cards for over two months the way that he did. He deserves the commander that he's going to be getting. I can also say at the same time, I am very salty at the referees in the Florida Atlantic versus Memphis game because he had Florida Atlantic, I had Memphis, it pretty much decided the contest. To say that I wish I would have experienced a better fate, I think is very fair. 66-65 for Atlantic. Comes back, they're able to win the game. I also reflect on the fact that I should have done a better job handicapping prior to that to put myself in a better position, so you can have it both ways. It's not just one handicap that costed me this one, but yeah, that one hurt a little bit. DeAndre Williams, 13 points, 13 rebounds, but for Memphis, they went to 6 of 22 from three-point range. They held for Atlantic to 8 of 28 from three-point range, but for Memphis, even though they had just eight turnovers in this game, you could tell that the minutes that they were without Kendrick Davis as he was limping off a little bit, that was a little bit rough for them, and for Florida Atlantic, they just stuck with it. They were able to win that battle 39-36 to on the glass, and that turned out to be a big difference maker. In terms of the Saturday card, you had in the NIT a really bad beat as well. If you, like me, had Michigan on the money line, good gosh almighty, this was not too terrific as Michigan was up 8 points in the final 90 seconds and Vanderbilt wins by a count of 66-65. Hunter Dickinson did a very solid job in this game. 21 points, 11 rebounds. There was no Kobe Bufkin for Michigan, and yet still, they were able to piecemeal things together as Vanderbilt goes just 6-23 from three-point range. What Vanderbilt did do, though, is they took care of the ball, winning the turnover battle 15-7. They also got destroyed on the glass, losing that battle 39-23. But for Vanderbilt, they were able to force Michigan into some costly errors, and Michigan had no idea what they were doing late in that game, so that was rough. If you took Furman like I did, that was rough as well. 75-52, San Diego State was able to run and hide with this game for San Diego State. 
Micah Parrish really came up with a big game in this one. He was able to supply 16 points as he came in off the bench. He was able to bury a pair of threes, and he also was able to contribute six rebounds to the cause as well. Furman, they just couldn't match up on the boards. They lost that battle 41-24 to as for Furman. You had Mike Bothwell being able to give you 15 points in that one, but really past that, nothing doing for a Furman team that's been solid on offense all season long, but shot just 32% from the floor in this one. Tennessee, they take down Duke. A very chic pick for a lot of people to make the title game. 65-52 to as Duke went to 6-22 from three-point range. I was saying that I felt like Derek Whitehead needed to be the X-Factor for the team. He had just eight points in this game. Derek Lively, zero points but 11 rebounds. He did his part down low, but where Duke was costed, turnovers. 15 turnovers for them, nine for Tennessee, and Tennessee, still one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. Knows the Kai Ziegler means that the offense is going to be a little bit more out of sorts, but they still went 9-21 for three with Santiago Vescovi going for 14 points. He was able to make four threes in this game, so... Tennessee, they're able to survive and advance to the Sweet 16. Arkansas takes down Kansas. I think that we really saw the effect of Nobel Self in this game. My DK and pick was on Kansas. And this is another one where I feel a little bit salty as Kansas loses this game 72-71. to I think that there were a lot of people that were not very pleased about the refs as well being on Kansas in this game. In my personal opinion, this was more about Kansas not making their free throws early. They actually made them late. They went overall 18 of 25 at the free throw line, but I believe that they went something like 12 of their first 19, so they could have made that lead a little bit bigger. Ricky Council did hit his free throws for Arkansas. 21 points. It was just the more disciplined team with Arkansas as they won the turnover battle 12 to 11, and they won the offensive rebound battle, grabbing 15 offensive rebounds to the 7 of Kansas as the guy that really came up big Kamani Johnson. He only had four points, but he had six offensive rebounds for Arkansas. Really gave them life in a lot of those possessions. I thought that he was the X Factor in this one. The 15 seed goes to the Sweet 16 for the third straight year. Princeton takes down Missouri 78 to 63 as Missouri was just completely lifeless in this game. 6 of 22 from three point range. Missouri actually wins a turnover battle 9 to 7. And I mean, we knew that Missouri wasn't the greatest rebounding team, but they lost a rebound battle to Princeton 44 to 30. A Princeton team that wasn't the top 35 in terms of rebound rate coming into this game, but I mean, Caden Pierce was the best low post player in this game. 16 rebounds. They just took the fight to Missouri, and Missouri couldn't generate any turnovers in this game. Princeton also went out. They shot 12 of 33 from three-point range. Being able to have Ryan Langberg go 4 of 12 from three-point range. So that was big. If you're looking at a little bit of CBI action, all four games went under. Charlotte, they were able to get a win and cover against Western Carolina. This one had me a little bit salty as well. as Western Carolina in this game was down two points with 424, and they don't cover if you took a look at the closing number right around six-ish in this game, 65 to 56. As Bryce Williams, he was able to go off for 20 points. For Western Carolina, they went just 3 of 20 from 3-point range, so that was costly for them. We'll get into the late NCAA tournament games in a minute, but Southern Utah with an interim coach because Todd Simon actually took the Bowling Green job. They took down North Alabama 72-50. to For North Alabama, they shot 29.9% from the floor, and I didn't think that we need to be handicapping sort of the sight line that we are seeing in the CBI at Ocean Center because it seems to be throwing all these teams off as 
Nobody was really warm with their shooting on this day as Indiana State. No cover, but they get the win against USC Upstate. This is by kind of 67 to 62. And if you took the over in this game, this game completely died as you got in the final 850 of the game 15 points. There was 114 points on the board with 850 remaining. The closing total was right around 157, so you were fighting an uphill battle anyway, but you expected a little bit more than that. USC Upstate goes as 5-24 from three-point range, and then Cincinnati as the rare higher-seeded team on the road takes out Hofstra on the NIT. I got a 79-65 as Hofstra shot just 37.5% from the floor, got bludgeoned on the glass 42-27. Odie Aguama has been putting it together for Cincinnati, 14 points, 11 rebounds, so that was big for them. What else was big was a bunch of betters being able to get to the window on this one. The early openers on Penn State versus Texas were Penn State catching north of 6. That's close a lot of spots, with Texas being a 5-point favorite, 71-66 to Texas is able to get the job done, just barely stays under the total as Texas overcomes shooting 1 of 13 from 3 par range thanks to Dylan DeSue and all that he was able to do. 28 points, 10 rebounds. Your big fear with Penn State was on the glass. They lose that battle only by kind of 37 to 33, so didn't do too bad with that regard, but Texas, 5 turnovers to Penn State's 9, and for Penn State, they did go a little bit cold in this game. Andrew Funk, he was not able to bring the funk. He did have 12 points, but 2 of 10 from 3-point range. Overall, Penn State goes 8 of 28 from 3-point range, so that was a little bit costly for them. It was costly if you tried to fade Alabama as the Crimson Tide took it to Maryland, 73-51 to the final end. I mean, for Maryland, they were one of the best under teams in college basketball all season long, and they do end their season as a top 20 cover 8 team as well as they were able to get to the window quite a bit, but that did not matter in this one as for Alabama, they just completely shut them down. Maryland shoots 35% from floor, 1 of 8 from 3, and 12 of 21 from the free throw line as well. Brandon Miller, he was very limited in that game against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and he was playing his full allotment of minutes in this one, and he was able to play very well as he had 19 points, 7 rebounds. No, Clowney was able to chip in their 7 boards. Really, everyone was able to function very well in this affair as Maryland, they closed the year 22-13 and 13 against the spread, and getting back to Penn State, they went 22-13-2 and two against the spread, so both of these teams were able to do a very rock-solid job representing the Big Ten, and for Maryland, if you're taking a look at their unders, 23 unders to 12 overs this season, so they're one of your better teams with that regard, and then UCLA, a win but non-cover against Northwestern, 68-63, the final in this one as for UCLA, the man that bailed them out, Jaime Akes, 24 points, 8 rebounds. Now of note, David Singleton, who is now filling in for Jalen Clark, he went down with a lower body injury late in this game. It looked like it was some sort of like an ankle. We shall see. I'm doing this with not knowing a ton about the injury. I'm thinking that we should get more reports in the AM, but not great there. Meanwhile, you did have Bubui Chase Odige be able to combine for 34 points for Northwestern to be able to keep them lively in this one. And Northwestern, they won 21-13 and 13 against the spread this season as well. So they did a rock-solid job. And Houston, after a shaky first half, they were down 10 points at the half against Auburn. They restored order. They outscored Auburn 50-23 to 23 in the second half, 81-64 to 64 the final end. Of note, Marcus Sasseru has been playing with some injuries. He looked very good going 5 of 9 from 3, 22 points, 1 turnover. Jarris Walker and Juwan Roberts combined for 11. Count them, 11 blocks. And Jamal Shedd 
He was fighting through an injury. Five assists to one turnover for Auburn. They went 19 of 36 at the free throw line, by the way. They were able to force a lot of fouls, but didn't do anything with them. Houston won the rebound battle 45 to 34. They're able to survive and they're able to advance. And if you're looking at the NCAA tournament right now, just two NCAA tournament games went over the total. Every one of the CBI and NIT games went under. And if you're looking at the last seven days of college basketball, so pretty much a conference tournament finals into the NIT, CBI, all the action that we've been seeing in these postseason tournaments. So last seven days in total, 17 overs, 53 unders. So the unders, they have been reigning supreme. You've had one push in there as well. And in the last seven days as well, favorites, they've done pretty well for themselves, 36, 33, and two against the spread. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now. And that's what we all got on Saturday. Now let's talk to our good friend Jeff Parles. Get set for Sunday and get his observations from what we've been seeing from the NCAA tournament. And that's up next right here on Coast to Coast with myself, Craig H. Peterson, now a part of the DC Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so... There's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here from Las Vegas for Kelsey Kelsey with myself, Greg Eubes-Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by this man as Jeff Barles does absolutely tremendous work over here at Beeson. He joins me quite a bit on my baseball podcast during the season and here on the college basketball podcast as well. He's one of the co-hosts of the Beating the Book Megapod. You're able to find that wherever you get your podcast. I know that he does a lot of our normal weekend stuff, which... For the next few weekends, I have taken over, but have no fear because Jeff is going to be taking over the Greg Peterson experience from Monday to Tuesday out there in the West Coast, East Coast, Tuesday and Wednesday, very, very early a.m. So we've got a little bit of a flopper Rooney the next few weeks between myself and Jeff, with Jeff going to a few weekdays and myself going to some weekends with all the rambunctious action. And Jeff does a great job of following it all. You're able to follow him on Twitter. At Jeff Parles, that is Jeff with a J, not a G-E, so just his first and last name all together. And Jeff, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. What a uh, great, this tournament. First off, it's an honor to be the, as you told me, uh, second fill-in host, I should say, of the GPE. I will not rename it to the JPE of the Jeff Parles experience. <laughs> but look, you and I were talking about this before we started recording here. This is, these games on Sunday, I don't have the numbers in front of me of history and such. But I can't remember around the 32 day where these games throw out FDU and FAU because that's a very special circumstance. The other seven games, very tightly lined action, which means we should get some awesome games on Sunday. We should get some awesome games on Sunday. And I mean, the most ridiculous game on the board, let's call it what it is. It's Florida Atlantic versus Fairleigh Dickinson with Fairleigh Dickinson. I was joking that it's like, yeah, I think Florida Atlantic or Memphis, whoever wins this game, they match up very well with Purdue. And I think if you see the ridiculous, they match up really well with Fairleigh Dickinson. But what do you make out of them being now the first ever 16 seed to win multiple games in the NCAA tournament? And it's a team that honestly shouldn't have been here because they couldn't even win against Merrimack to be able to win their conference tournament. It's beyond belief what has happened here and for Purdue first off I just want to go off of this for Purdue now to have a three-year tournament run where they lost basically a home game to a 13 seed they lose in the sweet six like forget that they made they won two games in the tournament last year they lost to a 15 seed with a week of prep (laughs) after seeing what they can do in the NCAA tournament what happened on Friday night which Greg is inexplicable for Purdue to have lost that game but the ridiculous part of it is FDU is the better team in that game. It wasn't like the UMBC game where that was one fluky half where UMBC made everything and Virginia made nothing. That was a fluky result, even though it was a 20 point game. FDU is the better team in that game for the majority of the 40 minutes. So they deserve all the credit in the world. They deserve to win that game. I just think with Florida Atlantic, Greg, that was a weird game too. It gets totally forgotten 
because of what happened before in that same pod. FAU was lucky to win. Memphis kind of gave that game away at the end, but IBL is going to the Sweet 16 anyway. They're deep. They can beat you anyway. They're very well coached. Greg, we're 14 and a half. Is that correct? Is that the uh, number we're going with here? Right around 14 and a half. I'm seeing some 15 out there as well. There's even 115 and a half out there now as well. I'm not going to touch this game, but if you made me bet it, I'd probably take fairly Dickinson first half and then look to uh, come back with FAU in the second half, assuming that FAU covers that first half. This is one that opened up at 12 and 12 and a half, and I thought that that was a gift on Florida Atlantic. Very low. I was on one that came out, and it's like, you know what, during a commercial break, I'm going to need to get on the app and bet this right now because this is certainly going to move. And I mean, still at 15, it's probably the max buy point I have on Florida Atlantic, but certainly the value of it has been squashed a little bit there. And when it comes to these games, you were mentioning it a little bit before, other than the ridiculous game and fairly Dickinson versus Florida Atlantic, a lot of tight lines. The next biggest spread on the board is Pittsburgh versus Xavier, with Xavier being a five-point favorite. And of the teams to be the second biggest favorite, I don't know if I could get there with Xavier. Looked very shaky against Kennesaw State. They need to come back from down double figures in the final eight minutes. Pittsburgh, I recognize the defense isn't supreme with them as well, but I felt like coming into the tournament, Xavier was the most vulnerable three-seed out there, and there's been no reason for me to think otherwise. Greg, did you have Pitt possibly as the last ACC team standing? I uh, actually did think that they would make it to the Sweet 16. I thought Duke would make it there as well before losing to that winner of Memphis versus Florida Atlantic. But I actually did think whoever won the playing game was going to make it to the Sweet 16. Yeah, so look, an amazing job by Capel. I-, I thought Pitt and Iowa State was a very tight game. I didn't really have a feel either way. And then Iowa State... They might have been better off sending out a beer league team offensively in that game. That's how bad it was for the Cyclones. Greg Xavier should have lost. They were very lucky to win that game. They were bailed out by a guy who doesn't score a lot. Uh, Hunter at, what, what was it, 23? Uh, I mean, he doesn't score. He averaged six points a game, and he totally bailed them out offensively before Sule Boom finally woke up late in that game. But, uh, Greg, I'm with you. I think Xavier's vulnerable. They're not good defensively. Neither is Pitt, despite what just happened in the round of the 64. I like Pitt. I think Pitt's going to win the game outright, Greg. And I also I also like this game over as well. It's gotten bet to the under. I'm not so sure I agree with that because neither of these teams can particularly defend. And this game will be played at a pretty fast pace. So I think 151 and a half, and if this thing keeps crashing down, that might be a good opportunity to get in on the over as well in this one. With Pittsburgh, they certainly have not been playing a lot of defense. And you've got a Xavier team that, well, defense has been something that they have been allergic to as well. Though their offense, when they have been away from home, it has been a little bit diminished as well. So I do think that that game is a fascination as joining me on the podcast. We do have Jeff Parles, who does amazing work over at VSIN. And this is one that I think is very fascinating as well because – Kansas State has not played the same defense when they've been away from home, and now they're facing off against a Kentucky team that has a reigning player of the year in Oscar Sheboy. I felt like on the opener that Kentucky should have been a slight favorite, and they opened up at minus one. This has now moved to minus three, and I do feel like this line move might be a little bit aggressive on Kentucky. They've still been without Xavier Wheeler for quite a while. If for some reason he does go in this game, I can't think that he's 100%. Keontae Johnson, Marquis Sowell is a really good combination. How do you view this game? Because I did give Kentucky the slightest of slight edges, but now that we're getting up to a three, that's my buy point on Kansas State. 
All right. So, Greg, I'll say this. Now with Duke out, and obviously with Purdue out as well, the winner of this game is going to make it to the Final Four in Houston. I actually feel pretty confident in saying that. And we'll get to Marquette and Michigan State later. Uh, Kentucky matches are great with Tennessee if that were an Elite Eight matchup. We already saw them beat Tennessee twice. And Kansas State, look, the one problem with Kansas State, you mentioned the defense problem. That is a legitimate problem when they're not at home. But the thing with Kansas State is the big question mark is, can they get away with not having a lot of depth? Even in a game that was never really in doubt in the round of 64, Kelty Johnson and Noel have played 38 minutes. That's going to be a lot of mileage on them if they have to keep playing 38 to 40 minutes every game in the tournament, which is more than likely going to happen. I'm kind of with you that this is a little aggressive on Kentucky. I'm not going to lay three. I think Kentucky wins the game because I think in the end, Sheboy gets the better of Tomlin and the other bigs on Kansas State. But if Kansas State wins this game because Noel and Keontae Johnson end up being the two best players on the court, that wouldn't shock me either, Greg. It wouldn't shock me either. I think that this is going to be one of the best games that we see on the card. And I think one of the biggest question marks on the card as well is a defense versus offensive showdown. Because you've got this Gonzaga versus TCU game, which TCU, very fortunate to be able to survive in advance against Arizona State. But I always like to favor defensive teams a little bit more. I'm not sure what your view is on this TCU versus Gonzaga game. I'm seeing a split up between four and a half and five in the market, but I do feel like Gonzaga is starting to play a lot of their best basketball right now. Meanwhile, you've got a TCU team that I think the big question mark is, is Mike Miles going to be 100%? It was kind of amazing the way that TCU won that game where Arizona State was the better team for 35 minutes, but TCU found a way. I'm very concerned with them not having Lumpkin in this game, or Lampkin. I just am worried about the ability to line up in the post without having your best post defender against Drew Timmy. And you mentioned it. Gonzaga looks like old Gonzaga again. They look really good. And I'm just worried that TCU is not going to have enough bodies in the front court to really slow down Timmy. And if Strother plays like he did against Grand Canyon, man, that's going to be a, a really difficult matchup for TCU. And I love this TCU team. I think this TCU team, if they were in Iowa State's shoes, as opposed to the draw they ended up getting, I would have put TCU and giving them a real chance to make the Final Four in the Midwest if they were in there instead of the West region. So in the end, I'm probably not going to bet this. It would not shock me if TCU wins outright. It would not shock me if Kansas wins by 10. And if you made me say, hey, you got to pick one of those two outcomes, I think I'd lean towards Gonzaga winning by double digits, Greg. With Gonzaga, that offense has been so prolific, and I think that there's very justified question marks as to what we're going to be able to get out of Mike Miles. He's certainly going to be able to play in this game. Jeff Parles, he does amazing work at VSIN. He is joining me on the podcast. And, Jeff, we've been talking a lot about the games that we are going to be getting on Sunday, but – what have you just made out of this tournament as a whole? And have you had to make any adjustments with what we've been seeing? Because one thing that I've been talking about a lot on this podcast this year is I kept feeling like, okay, we're finally going to see some unders be able to hit. We're finally going to see some regression on these totals. And that's been a big takeaway for me because we're doing this midway through the Saturday card. We've only had seven overs hit in the NCAA tournament. So that's been a little bit of a headline for me and one that has been very profitable for myself. But I mean, it clearly has been a case of which just being able to gauge these matchups themselves has been the biggest way to go just because 
things have been all over the place. And we've been talking about these tight lines. And I think that that is indicative of these teams are more just closely knit together than ever before. And seeing how these teams match up themselves, that's where the value has laid this NCAA tournament. Well, Greg, it's been the unders and it's been the underdogs in the first half have been great in this tournament so far. I'm just a little bit concerned that the totals are going to start getting too low at some point. So I look, it didn't matter at Duke, Tennessee on early, early in Saturday. Uh, but I would be a little concerned about that moving forward. I think more than anything, Greg, this tournament is so unpredictable. So if you have a bad three, four game stretch, shake it off, trust your handicapping and go from there. Everyone has a bad three, four game stretch in this tournament when you're betting it oh, year after year. So that's really the biggest thing more than anything. Also too, Greg, I just want to say this. If you like the team in the regular season and you thought they were a strong team, but you backed off because you didn't like their draw, trust the team that you've liked the whole year. Because, I, I look, there were a few instances in that first round where there were teams I liked all year and I backed off because they didn't like the matchup, and that team ended up covering or winning outright. So trust what you've watched the whole year. Could it not work? It's a one-and-done scenario. Fairly Dickinson beat Purdue. Princeton beat Arizona in a game where Princeton hit three threes. Anything can happen in this tournament. Yeah, and as we are recording this right now, it's looking like Princeton is going to be going yeah, to Sweet my, 16. My, 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 my alma mater really, uh, really showing up in a, in a spot where uh, you can't no-show in the NCAA tournament, Greg, and they are no-showing right now. Yeah, as we're recording this, it's the end of the first half, and Missouri is down double figures. And talk about being gift-wrapped a trip to the Sweet 16 and saying, no thanks, I'm watching my figure. That is exactly what Missouri is doing right now. As trying to be on the podcast, we do have Jeff Barles. And Jeff, is there anything else that you're really going to be taking a look at with the NCAA tournament, whether that be on Sunday or just a little bit beyond? Because... I think that you mentioned a very good point and just trusting in the team that you liked all season long because there have been some of these teams that I'm looking at you, Purdue, have turned out to be frauds. Meanwhile, there have been teams that they've been relatively solid all year long. Maybe they didn't get the best matchup and they have been coming through. I think Sunday is kind of, there's actually one matchup we didn't bring up, Greg, on Sunday that I think is one of those scenarios. A lot of people have loved Creighton all year long. And there is an argument to be said that this is not the greatest of matchups against Baylor. But I trust Creighton to win that game against Baylor. That's one of those where I'm going with my regular season read over what the matchup may be. Where, look, Greg, would it shock you if Baylor overwhelmed them with, their, with the, the athleticism and won the game? No, wouldn't shock me at all. I think Creighton's the better team when it's all said and done. They're a one-point underdog. That's kind of indicated that this is a coin flip in this game. That's one of those teams, at least for Sunday action that I'm trusting what I watched all regular season long as opposed to the matchup. Yeah, this is going to be such an interesting day of games in general on Sunday. As we mentioned with you, Jeff, very tight spreads. And Jeff, I know that you're going to be taking a look at this all weekend long, and you're going to be delivering your insights to the Greg Peterson experience this week. That is going to be terrific. You're going to be the second ever guest host along with Dan Leach, who he did that in February of 2022. So as you can tell, there's not many days off for myself on the Greg Peterson experience, and you're going to be one of the gentlemen that gets that moniker of being one of the fill-ins. I'm sure that you might be taking a day or two as well a little bit later on as 
I have to stay out of the doghouse with my wife for our anniversary. If I forget that, it might not be good, and there might not be a lot of experiences moving forward. So you might be getting called upon once again from that regard. But with that said, Jeff, you do absolutely terrific work. I know you do the Megapod as well, and a lot of our weekend shows at VSIN as well. So let the good people at home know what's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for taking my shifts over the weekend, obviously. Really have had a very uh, difficult week in my family with the passing of my grandfather last week, uh, but I appreciate you taking those shifts. So I'm an honor to hop in for you on the GPE. Um, so midnight, that's, I guess that's technically midnight Eastern on Tuesday and midnight Eastern on Wednesday. The Monday and Tuesday starts for us on the West Coast. And I have a feeling, Greg, uh, now that we've opened Pandora's box for possible shift switching between you and I, oh boy, the box <laughs> may not be getting closed anytime soon, Greg. Absolutely. And Jeff <laughs> is one of the best in the business. I am always happy to fill on the weekends for him. And hey, we need to find someone reliable that whenever I need to stay out of the doghouse, I am able to do so. And Jeff is going to be our guy, it sounds like, moving forward to ensure that there are actual experiences moving forward. And that way, it just doesn't abruptly end. So we do appreciate Jeff's services and all that he provides here at VSIN. And whenever he joins this podcast, much like he did today, always delivers tremendous insights. A big thanks to Jeff Parles for joining me on Coast to Coast. Oops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you fix and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. 
So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're right here above you, Las Vegas, for Coastal Coastal with myself, Greg Eubes Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it's always great to get Jeff Parles aboard. He does amazing work over here at Beeson, taking a look at so many things. When it comes to baseball season, he's going to be firing all cylinders there. Always does amazing work whenever he joins me on the College Basketball Podcast. And as you heard, he's going to be doing some filling in on the Greg Peterson experience this week as well. So always do appreciate him. A big thanks to Jeff for joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is going to start with the NCAA tournament games where the games from New York are first and then Ohio, North Carolina, and Colorado after that. And then we go with the NIT games and the CBI games are going to be rounding it out. So let's get things started with 837, 838 on the betting board. UConn and St. Mary's are doing battle from MVP Arena out in Albany as UConn is a favorite of three and a half points. Your total is anywhere between 127 and 128 and a half. Mostly seeing 128 and at a 128 it is my maximum buy point on the over but I am willing to go over in this ordeal because you do have a UConn team that I think is going to be able to win the battle down low. You've got Adama Sanogo who does a great job of making things a go-go as 
he was able to have a massive game against Iona as he was able to put up 25 plus points in that one and overall for the season has just been a machine. 17 points, 7.5 boards, shoots 35.5% from 3 point range double-doubles in each of the last two games. You've got Donovan Klingon giving you nearly two blocks per contest and you take a look at it among your top six scorers for this UConn team. You've got all of them giving you at least 3.9 rebounds per game, all but one giving you at least 4.2 rebounds per contest with Tristan Newton being able to all four and a half assists per game. UConn is a mid-tempo team that does sometimes get a little bit loose with the ball as they do turn the ball over 13 times per game and this is a St. Mary's team that they're very disciplined and we know this with St. Mary's. They are not going to really break stride from what they do. They're a bottom 40 team in terms of total possessions per game, more like a bottom 25 team if you rule out overtime in terms of possessions per 40 minutes. They do have their issues at the free throw line though. They shoot about 69.5% at the charity stripe so that is something of note. Adam Haney, he didn't even have a single point in that win against VC and they still won that game by double figures. He's been able to put up 14 points per contest. Logan Johnson has been this team's stat sheet suffer 14 half points, 3 and half assists, steal and half, 5 boards with Alex Dusas. He shoots 41% from 3, so you've got a lot of great attributes here, but you've only got two guys that give you north of 5 rebounds per game. Kyle Bowen, who at 6'8", he only gives you 5 and a half points, but 7 boards, shoots 38% from 3, and then Mitchell Saxon down low has been able to give you 8 rebounds per game. I do think that UConn is going to be able to do a better job of being able to hold on to the ball in this one. Defense has really been able to bear down. 70 points are fierce surrendered in now each of their last six games. Meanwhile, you do have a St. Mary's team that has given up at least 69 points in three other last four games. So that is a little bit concerning in my opinion. I do think that UConn has enough firepower even with someone like a Joey Calcaterra who is able to knock down threes. I do think that this is going to be very much a nip and tuck game, but I do think that in the end, you are going to see UConn be able to get the job done and be able to get the cover out there in the northeast part of the country. Set UConn as a four and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay three and a half with them. Anything of a 128 or less, I'm going to be willing to go over on as well. 839, 840 on the betting board. This is Miami versus Indiana. This is the good old 4-5 matchup as Indiana. Anywhere between a 1.5 to a 2-point favorite in your total. 146, I did set Indiana as a 2-point favorite. So at the 1.5, which I'm seeing a relative 50-50 split between 1.5 and, and 2, that is my max buy point on Indiana. I'm willing to lay the 1.5. I was seeing a few ones a little bit earlier when this opened up, so I'm going to be on Indiana in this spot because I do think that Trace Jackson Davis is going to be able to win the battle against Chad O'Meara, which O'Meara, his status was very questionable going into the team's last game against Drake, and he performed very well. He has been able to do it all season long. 13.5 points, 9.5 boards against Drake. 14 rebounds, 12 points, so he certainly backed that up, but now you have to go up against Trace Jackson Davis. 21 points, 11 boards, 2.8 blocks, 4 assists. I mean, this guy's an absolute sad sheet suffering. Well, Indiana certainly has not been the world's greatest team on the road. They're actually the better defensive team in this spot. Indiana, 88th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do give up 10.2 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. And Miami actually give up fewer points per possession when they leave home by about 3.5 points. But they are 186th in the country in terms of defensive efficiency. That's a little bit of an issue. They're not generating the same steals that they did when they made the Elite 8 last year as well. You do have Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, and 
They really didn't give you a lot of scoring in the game against Drake. Still got the job done. They were able to average 30.8 points, right around 2.7 seals. They have Wong shooting 37.5% from 335.5%. Adam Miller, Nigel Pack has been your main three-point shooter, along with Woga Poplar. These two guys combined to shoot about 40% from three. Poplar has been able to give you 8.5 points. Pack is packing it in with 13.5 points per game, but getting to Poplar, he has given the team 8-plus points each out of the last five games. He's been a nice little X-factor for the team, but even though they do have Xavier Johnson out for the year, they've had Jalen Ochefino play much above his age. He is a freshman, but has been very good with the ball. 2.8 turnovers, but 13.5 points, 3.7 assists. His turnovers have gotten better and better as the season goes along, and against the Kent State team, that does a good job of being able to generate turnovers. He kept a pretty clean sheet, getting the ball to someone like a Miller Cop, who shoots 44.5% from three with eight points per game. Trey Galloway shoots 44% from distance. Tamar Bates shoots 38.5% from three-point range. Galloway and Bates, they both give you between about six to seven points per game, so I do think that this is a good spot for Indiana to be able to get the job done. I do think that they provide just a little bit more defense. I do think that Trace Jackson Davis wins the battle down low. You've got a little bit more experience in the backcourt with Miami, but with Indiana, you've got a wider range of sharpshooters I do think is going to be able to win out. Both of these teams are relatively mid-tempo teams. Both of these teams have had their struggles on defense. I recognize that it's been a little bit of an under-tournament, but I do think that both of these offenses are going to be firing all cylinders. I did set my total at a 150. I'm willing to go over. And with Indiana, made them a two-point favorite, so one to lay one and a half. Here comes the DK Nation pick. 841-842 on the board. Marquette is going to be facing off with Michigan State. This is out in Columbus, Ohio in the 7-versus-2 matchup. And with Marquette, they are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 140 and 141. And my right up here is actually going to be on the total. I do like the over. I also set my spread at two-and-a-half. So I would be encouraging you guys to wait to see what we all get because this is one that had opened up in some spots as high as like a 4 on Marquette, and that was too big. I was willing to take it with Michigan State. I think that we currently do have the correct number here at a two and a half. So we shall see how this marinates at a three or more. I'm willing to take the points with Michigan State. But the reason why I do like this total over is that neither of these teams have really played tremendous defense. Both of these teams outside the top 90 in terms of total possessions per game. Now, you've got one team that plays rather up-tempo, and you've got another team that does not. Marquette is a bunch that they rank in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game. Michigan State out of 363 D1 teams. They're currently clocking in at 296. So you certainly do have your range of tempos in that one. As a matter of fact, for Marquette, they're approximately 80 seconds. So just outside the top 75. But they certainly do like to run it and gun it. But I do think that both of these teams are going to be very efficient with their offense. As Marquette is right around 250th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And while Michigan State is 55th, they allow opponents to shoot nearly 25.5% from three-point range when they are at home in a road slash shoot record environment. This rises to north of 35%. So that is a big, giant issue. And for Marquette, they do a very good job of protecting the ball. They're in the top 20 nationally in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis with Tyler Kolick being able to do an incredible job. He shoots about 39% from three-point range, 7.6 assists, to 2.4 turnovers, 13 points per game. Ken Jones has been able to give you about 15 points. He throws in there about three and a half boards, a few assists. He has been a just-go-to guy for the team. And then David Joplin off the bench, about 9.5 points. Shoots a 930s from three-point range. And for Michigan State, among your 
top four scorers, three of them shoot at least 41.7% per three. And as a whole, Michigan State, number three in the country, three-point shooting percentage at 39.5%. Ty Walker has been able to be really that closer for this team, 2.8 assists, 14.5 points per contest. A.J. Hogart, six assists to about two and a half turnovers per game. Michigan State only turns the ball over 10.9 times per game as well. Marquette, the one thing that they do do on defense, they're in the top 20 in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis. And I do think the Michigan State is going to be able to keep a clean Hogart, 12.5 points per game. Joey Hauser has been able to give you about seven boards, 14.5 points per game. You get a little bit of rebounding out of Maddie Sissoko, who's been able to give you six rebounds per game. And that is big because with Marquette, they allow opponents to rebound 31.9% of their misses when they're away from home. That ranks outside of the top 300 in the country. So, big giant issue there. It is a circumstance where I am going to be willing to go over in this spot, and that is going to be the write-up. And at three or more, it is going to be bye-bye point on Michigan State at two and a half. It's a wait-and-see-what-happens-here. Personally, I like the opener where we were getting four-plus with Michigan State. So, looking at anything of three or more with Michigan State, write-up is going to be on the over semi total at a 145 and a half. 843-844 on the betting board. The 16 versus 9 matchup that everyone was banking on. Florida Atlantic and Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson between a 15 to a 15 and a half point underdog. Up from the opener of between 12 and 12 and a half. Your total on this game is 149 and a half. I set my line at a 16. So if you're still looking to bet this one, I see a little bit of value on Florida Atlantic. I personally took an opening 12, so... I certainly do think that a lot of the value has been sucked out of this line, but it's just so hard for me to take Fairleigh Dickinson. I recognize that we saw Princeton yesterday get the job done. They are going to be going to the Sweet 16, but with Fairleigh Dickinson, they are once again the shortest team in the NCAA tournament, and for that matter, really all of college basketball going up against a Florida Atlantic team that they're much more balanced than what Purdue was. They're much more experienced than what Purdue was in the backcourt. Florida Atlantic, a top 35 team in terms of both offensive and defensive efficiency with a whole is greater than some of its parts approach. Each other, top three scorers, Vladislav Golden, Elijah Martin, along John L. Davis. They all give you between 5.2 and 6.4 rebounds per game. Golden, a 7'1 gentleman, 10.5 points, a little bit over a block per game. Martin, 13 points, a steal, shoots 36.5% from three. And Davis, a part-time starter, part-time, just... Sharpshooter off the bench, shoots 39.5% from three, 13.5 points per game. Florida Atlantic, a mid-tempo team that really doesn't beat themselves, and they've got depth as well. You're able to have someone like a Brian Greenlee give you 8.5 points per game. Giancarlo Rosado comes off the bench, does a very good job down low. Fairly Dickinson does a good job of being able to generate steals. They give you about 8 per contest, and they're going to need to just throw at Florida Atlantic, something that they haven't seen all year long, but Conference USA is one of the most unique conferences in America and that you've got a wide variety of different teams. So I do think that Florida Atlantic is going to be able to adjust. I like what Sean Moore was able to provide late in that game against Purdue. He's really come on strong down the stretch, being able to supply at least nine points in each of the team's last seven games. He's been able to give the team four and a half rebounds, which is sadly one of the top marks for this team, as you've got Ansley Almoner along Joe Munden Jr., who are the only other two players on the roster that give you north of 3.7 rebounds per game. They've combined for about 24.5 points per game, and it's an okay shooting team for Fairleigh Dickinson. They play a bit more up-tempo in the top 125 in terms of possessions per game, turning it over 11.5 times per game, shooting 34.5% per three. They also entered into the NCAA tournament, ranked in the bottom 30 nationally in opponents' 2-point and 3-point shooting percentage, 
Defense has played much better down the stretch, giving up 67 points or fewer each of their last four games. Florida Atlantic has been able to maul teams, giving up 65 points or fewer in each of their last four games. So I did set this total at a 148. I'm going to be willing to dive under in this spot. I do think that you're going to see Florida Atlantic be able to execute quite well. And I do think that Fairleigh Dickinson has been able to improve as the season has went along. This would be a number that I would have probably set at, I mean, probably an 18, even just a week ago. I do think that Fairleigh Dickinson deserves a little bit of a boost up. But I mean, if you were able to get that opener of 12 to 12 and a half, you should be feeling very good. I'm going to lay up to the 15 and a half. Now we're seeing right now, I do think that Florida Atlantic is going to end the dream right here. Give Fairleigh Dickinson credit, but the road ends here. Want to lay up to 15.5 with Florida Atlantic. Semi-total 148. It's also diving under. 845-846 on the betting board. Pittsburgh and Xavier do battle for North Carolina as Xavier, the X-Men, are a five-point favorite, and your total is 151.5. Semi-line at three. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Pittsburgh. We were talking about this with Jeff Parles in that it's a Xavier team that just really doesn't impress me. They entered into the NCAA tournament 172nd in the country. In terms of points slot on a per-possession basis, they're still without Zach Fremantle, so depth is a little bit of an issue. Sule Boom, along with Kobe Jones, have been impressive. They've been able to supply 31.6 points per contest, 9.5 boards, 8.5 assists. Boom brings a boom, shooting 42% from 3, 37.5% from 3 out of Jones. But and Xavier had to come back from down 13 points with about 8 minutes remaining against Kennesaw State. Go Owls. So that's a bit of an issue in Pittsburgh. They do a nice job of valuing the ball. 11.2 turnovers per game, more like 12.5 out of Xavier. Blake Kinson has good versatility, 15 points, 6 boards, shoots 38% from 3. You're really going to need Jack Nunge to do a good job against him as he's been able to give the Xavier team 14 points, 8 boards. And I will give credit where credit is do. We have seen Jerome Hunter step up in a big way for the team. He's filling in for the injured Zach Fremantle and his 24 points, 5 rebounds legitimately bailed that team out against Kennesaw State. So I do think that that is interesting to note in this one and Pittsburgh has been dealing with an injury to their main big man in Frederico. Frederico was able to play against Iowa State was very limited. He only played 11 minutes. I think that we're going to see a little bit more of him in this game, but he's clearly not 100%. He's been their main shot blocker, but Nelly Cummings, Jamarius Byrne, they run an efficient offense. They combine for 26.5 points, 9 assists, about 4.7 turnovers per game with Cummings shooting 36% from 3. Greg Elliott shoots 41.5% from the outside. It is a Pittsburgh defense that they themselves have been ranked outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for much of the year, but they've picked up steam here in the NCAA tournament, allowing a combined 100 points in their two games against Mississippi State and Iowa State. Now, this is a completely different animal in Xavier. It's a Xavier team that is the top team in terms of road three-point shooting percentage remaining in the NCAA tournament, so I think that that is going to be a little bit rough for a Pittsburgh team that, even with their recent performances, they are ranked right around 140th the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis and it is a Pittsburgh team that they're not terrible on the glass but the biggest thing for them is that they are going to allow quite a few open three point looks but I mean we can say the same thing about Xavier. Xavier is 276th in the country in opponent's three point shooting percentage. You got a Pittsburgh team that more around 95th and Pittsburgh in a roadside shoot to court environment they do allow opponents to shoot 30.8% from three. I think that this is a good matchup for Pittsburgh. I think that they hold in there could only set my line at three so I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Pittsburgh. You've got a Xavier bunch that they've been struggling a little bit with their offense. 72 points or fewer in five out of their last nine roadside shoot to court games. That's all been with Zach Fremantle either injured or completely out of the fold so around 151 half diving under and I'm going to be willing to take the points with Pittsburgh. 
8.48 on the betting board. That is Kansas State and Kentucky doing battle from North Carolina. Mostly seeing threes on Kentucky. I'm seeing a straight two and a half pop, but mostly seeing Kentucky as a three-point favorite. Total setting between 144 and 145 and a half. I did set my total at 142. I'm going to be willing to dive under. Now, the one thing that does give me a little bit of pause is that Kansas State just has not been the same team with their defense when they have been on the road. Kansas State overall, they are 37th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but in a roadside neutral card environment, they do allow 19.1 points more per one iron possessions. But for Kentucky, has been very intermiss with everything that they've been looking to do as well. Now, they did completely take it to Providence a few days ago, so that was very helpful for them. But Kentucky, they're 97th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And you've got a little bit of a tempo war that's going to be going on as well. Kansas State, they're 42nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Kentucky, more around 232nd. But I do take a look at this Kentucky side, and they've got Oscar Sheway. Oscar Sheway coming off of 25, count him, 25 rebounds against Providence. He has had at least 13 rebounds in each of the last five games, so it has been incredible to watch. Now, Xavier Wheeler missed the first round of the NCAA tournament, and if he plays in this one, you got to figure that he's going to be very limited. I would say rule him out of the fold. You've got Antonio Reeves, who's been able to shoot 41.5% for 3, 14.5 points per game. Jacob Toppin has been really the only other guy other than Sheway to give you north of 4.5 rebounds per game for this Kentucky team being able to supply 12.5 points per game. But Chris Livingston, I do think is a big X factor in this game. He's been able to give you 6 plus rebounds and now 3 out of the last 4 games. I like the way that he's coming out at six foot six. He's able to bury a few threes as well, but I do think the Kansas State is going to be able to hold in there. They're not going to be able to do quite as much as our good friend Oscar Sheway down low, but Nikwe Tomlin has been solid. He's been able to give 10 points, 6 boards. Keontae Johnson, he's just so versatile. 17.5 Points, seven boards, shoots 41% from three. I don't know who on Kentucky is going to be a matchup. And Kentucky can't take advantage of the main kryptonite of Kansas State. Kansas State turns the ball over 14.3 times per game. Kentucky only generates about six half steals per contest. Marquise Noel, 17 points, 7.8 assists, shoots 35% from three par range. Desi Sills doesn't necessarily pop threes, but he is solid out there in the backcourt. And for this Kansas State bunch, the defense has been a little bit all over the place, but I do think that they're going to be able to do just enough to be able to rein it in in this ordeal. You've got a Kansas State bunch that has now allowed fewer than 70 points in five out of their last seven games. This Kentucky team has been looking to slow a lot of games down as well. Other than really their affairs against Vanderbilt, they've been able to do a nice job of being able to rate it in there. They themselves have been having a little bit of a rough go of it with their offense, 73 points or fewer in three of their last four games with a little bit of a hampered backcourt. I do think that in the end, Sheboy going to be enough for Kentucky to get the job done outright, but I could only set my line at two. So now that we've gotten to three, going to be willing to take the points with Kansas State. Did set my total at 142, so also diving under 849, 850 on the betting board. It is Baylor taking on Creighton from Denver, Colorado, and Baylor is a one-point favorite with your total between 145.5 and 146.5. Such an intriguing battle, but I think that Creighton should be the slight favorite. I'm going to be taking them on the money line. Now, where Creighton does fall short a little bit is in terms of depth. That once you get past the starting five, you've had Frederick King give you a little bit of something, but it's been a little bit lackluster past that. But I do think that for Creighton, they're going to be able to win the battle on the glass. Baylor, in terms of percentage of missed shots that opponents are able to rebound, in a roadside shoot record environment, they allow opponents to rebound nearly 31% of their misses. They are outside the top 275 
with that regard. And you've got Ryan Kalkbrenner at seven foot one, gives you sixteen points, six boards, and two and a half blocks per game while shooting thirty three percent from three. Baylor Shireman gives you eight and a half rebounds per game. You've got another guy in Arthur Colomo gives you six boards per contest. As a matter of fact, each of your top five scores for Creighton all give you at least four rebounds per game. Ryan Nemard has really reined it in with the turnovers, four point nine assists at two turnovers, shoots thirty six percent from three, twelve points per contest. Arthur Columa gives you twelve points, six boards. So you've got a lot of good weapons for Creighton. Meanwhile, for Baylor, Keontae George has been dealing with a little bit of an injury, which I do think is of significance against UC Santa Barbara. Still didn't necessarily look like himself. Nine points in 25 minutes in that one overall. Has shot in the mid-30s from three-point range and actually shoots better away from home, which I find to be very intriguing, but you really need to get LJ Cryer going. I noticed that this Baylor offense comes and goes with Cryer. He has been able to overall for the season average right around 14 half points. Shoots 42% from three and yeah, actually shoots a little bit north of 43% from three in a roadside shoot record environment, but Creighton has done a good job all season long of being able to rein it in with regards to their defense, but their numbers are a little bit warped because you may recall Ryan Kalkbrenner was out of the fold for much of the month of December because he was dealing with a little bit of an illness, so when you take a look at the raw numbers, Creighton doesn't necessarily stand out. Like, they're giving up an opponent's three-point shooting percentage of 37.5%. A lot of that is because Kalkbrenner was out of the fold. You do have Jonathan Chamachachua for Baylor giving you five and a half points, five boards. He's able to shoot threes quite well, but I do think that in the end, Creighton is going to be able to take a little bit of better care with the ball. They turn the ball over less on a per-possession basis. The defense overall is significantly better, and I have noticed this with Baylor. Ever since the middle part of the season, after about 16, 17 games, they're playing at a rate of about five possessions per game, fewer than they did at the beginning part of the season, so I do think that that's of significance, so this is a total that I set a little bit lower at a 141.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under as a result. I set Baylor as a 1.5 point favorite, so taking them as a small money line underdog and the under. 851-852 is the last of the NCAA tournament games between TCU and Gonzaga. Gonzaga, anywhere between a 4.5 to a 5 point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 156 and 157. I did set my total at 154.5. If you do have a TCU team that they, no doubt about it, are going to be looking to run and gun. They have not been shy of pushing the tempo at 63rd in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but I do think that TCU's defense is going to be able to hold up just enough to be able to cover this number. I set mine at a 4.5, so at 5, I'm going to be willing to take the points down with TCU. They are giving up right around 14.5 points more per 100 possessions, and the status of Mike Miles is a little bit TBD. I think that he goes, and I think that he's going to be a little bit less than 100% in this ordeal, but I think that they're going to be able to get enough out of him to be able to get the job done for Mike Miles, even with dealing with the injury. He still won 37 minutes against Arizona State. He still put up 26 points. This guy is a gamer. You've got Damian Baugh, who under the radar has been able to do a nice job at the point guard spot. 12.5 points, 6 assists. TCU takes a little bit of a blow down low because Eddie Lampkin entered into the transfer portal. That's big because they have to go up against your Timmy Hughes. But Mr. Do-It-All for Gonzaga on offense. On defense, he uh, is pretty much Casper the Friendly Ghost, but 21.7 boards, 3.2 assists. I like what he's able to bring to the table for a Gonzaga team that ranks in the top 20 nationally in three-point shooting percentage at 38.7%. Gonzaga entered the tournament, the top team in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Roger Bolton shoots 40% for three, 10.5 points for Angel and Strother, 15.5 points, 6 boards. He shoots 42% for 3, and as a matter of fact, each of your top 3 scores for Gonzaga throwing their Anton Watson. I'll give you at least 6 rebounds per contest. It is a team that does a very good job of doling out the ball by committee. You've got 4 separate guys 
Watson, Bolton, Noah Hickman, along with your team, that all give you at least two and a half assists per game. So they're well put together on that side of things. But I do think that TCU is going to be able to hold up at the point of attack with their defense. They enter having given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last three battles. And they have given up 73 points or fewer, which keep in mind they are playing out there in the Big 12, which is just an absolute bear in now four out of their last five. So I do think that Gonzaga is going to be stymied down just a little bit. And for Gonzaga, I recognize that they haven't faced the world's greatest competition, but the defense has been a little bit better on their side as well, as this is a team that all of a sudden, they have now given up 72 points or fewer in each of their last six games and in seven out of their last eight. So I did set my total at 154.5. I'm going to be one that I have under. I do think that Gonzaga gets a job done, especially with TCU being a team that ranks outside of the top 275 in terms of three-point shooting percentage. But I do think that TCU's defense and Mike Miles being available in this game keeps them lively. So it is a circumstance where I am going to be willing to take five or more with TCU and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. Now we're going to be hitting the NIT games for today. This begins with 853-854. On the betting board, it is Liberty and they're on the road facing off against Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a three to three and a half point favorite and your total is anywhere between 128 and 128 and a half. I did make Wisconsin a favorite of two and a half points. So now that we've gotten to three plus, I'm going to be willing to take the points. Wisconsin and Liberty are both in the bottom 40 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, but Liberty is actually the more efficient defense. Now, Liberty's defense does fall off a cliff a little bit when they are away from home. They're 25th overall in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up 13 more points per 100 possessions. Meanwhile, Wisconsin, they're more around 72nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But for one, I do think that Liberty is going to be a little bit more motivated in this spot. And for two, it's a Wisconsin team that they just haven't been able to generate any offense. Meanwhile, Liberty, even though they also play super duper slow, you've got Darius McGee, who gives you 22.5 points, 3 assists, shoots about 40% from 3-point range. Kyle Rode is a very nice point forward, 11 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game. You've been able to get 41% 3-point shooting out of Brody Pebbles as well. So lots of options there for Wisconsin. Stephen Crawl along with Tyler Wall. They've been able to do a nice job combining for in that pocket about 23.5 points per game, 13.2 rebounds. They both give you 2.5 assists per game. And Jackie Hepburn, Connor Asesian, they combine to shoot 38.5% from 3, 23.5 points per game. For Wisconsin, the best attribute that they've got, they don't turn the ball over. Top 5 in the country in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. They also rank outside the top 200 in terms of offensive efficiency as well. And that is a big, giant bugaboo. They have a Liberty team that's given up 67 points of fear and far their last 5 games. They've done a nice job holding up there, and they're able to go off for 70 points plus when they need to. Meanwhile, for Wisconsin, in regulation, because you had that harebrained overtime game against Michigan that really did throw things out of sorts, but in regulation, this team has just not been great with their offense. They've been able to exceed the 71-point plateau, I believe, just once this calendar year. I mean, it's not been good for Wisconsin, to say the least. I recognize that it's the NIT, and things get a little bit more happy with regards to the way that these teams play, but Liberty still gave a 57 points against Villanova. This is going to be an early game at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central time, so I think both of these teams are going to be very tired. I don't think you're going to get any possessions whatsoever in this game, so I did set my total at 124, and I have diving under. I do think that Wisconsin, they're going to have a little bit of better rebounding in this game, so I did give them a slight edge, and Cole Center is still going to be back. People out there in the state of Wisconsin, I 
can speak to for them. They're going to support their Badgers, but that said, at three or more, I'm willing to take the points with Liberty, set my line at two and a half, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under as I set my total at 124 and a half, 855, 856 on the betting board. Oklahoma State plays us to Eastern Washington, Eastern Washington, an 11 to an 11 and a half point underdog, and your total is between 145 and 146. I said Eastern Washington as a 10 point underdog, so I'm going to be willing to take the points. I just don't think that you get enough offense out of Oklahoma State to be able to get it done, and defense looks significantly better against Youngstown State, and I do recognize that when you're going up against a Big 12, that is a big, giant issue because, well, those Big 12 teams, they are very good in terms of their offense, but it did fade a little bit towards the back half of the season. You do have an Eastern Washington team that they themselves certainly do have their defensive issues, 234th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, while you do have a Oklahoma State team that is clocking in more in the neighborhood of about 37th in the country. But for Oklahoma State, they're still dealing with Avery Anderson being on the fold. He's now missed in total, I believe, 12 games. Right around 11 points per game is what he was averaging was the team's main facilitator. So you've got Bryce Thompson and John Michael Wright really needing to carry the mail as Michael Wright has been able to give you about 10 points per contest. You get more around 11.5 out of Bryce Thompson as both of these guys combined to shoot about 35% for three. Oklahoma State as a whole, they do shoot 31.5% for distance. That is a bottom 75 mark in the country. Meanwhile, Eastern Washington, they do a good job by committee of being able to rebound. So they're going to have a problem with Musa Cisse because he multiple blocks, eight rebounds per game. But you do have five separate guys for Eastern Washington that do give you at least 4.2 rebounds per game as you've been able to get good production out of Cedric Coward, 7.5 points, 5.5 boards, shoots nearly 40% for three-par range. Angelo Algieri, 13.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists, mid-30 three-point shooter. Casey Jones, he's able to pop threes. He gives you 5.8 boards per contest. He has been very good down low recently. And then you've got Steel Inventors. He really doesn't give you much other than shooting threes, but shoots 38.5% from the outside. He's been able to supply about 15.5 points per contest. I do like what he's able to bring to the table for this team, and this an Eastern Washington team that has been firing all cylinders with their offense. 74 plus points in four of their last five games. They do go up against an Oklahoma State team that they seem to have really refound their defense in the month of February. They'd given up 70 plus points in pretty much all but one or two of their games. They've now given up fewer than 70 points at each other last four games, so you've got an Oklahoma State team that has really refound their defense but has not been providing a lot on offense, and an Eastern Washington team that is the complete opposite. So it is a good old situation of something's got to give, and I did set my total out of 146. Here at 145, 145 and a half, I'm going to be willing to go over. I do think that Oklahoma State, with Caleb Asbury being able to knock down some threes, they're going to be able to get things going, and I do think that Eastern Washington going to continue on the path of giving up quite a few points as they have given up north of 70 points in each other last five games, and many of those games have been out there in the big sky. So it is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to ride the over in this ordeal. But with Eastern Washington, I do think that they're going to be able to do enough with their team rebounding, with Seal Venters being able to give you some made threes to be able to hold in this game as well. So, a circumstance where I set my total 146 looking at the over. And with Eastern Washington, made them a 10-point dog, so taking a look at the points as well. 857, 858 on the betting board. UAB is going to be playing us more at State. More at State is a 14 to a 15-point dog, and your total is between 144 and 144.5. With UAB, I set them as a 12.5 point underdog, so I'm going to be willing to ride with the points with More at State. Morehead State has Mark Freeman, who's done a good job of really leading this offense. Morehead State, towards the beginning part of the season, they were getting a little bit too loose with it, but they've been averaging more around 12.2 turnovers per game here in the back half of the season. Morehead State, outside the top 250, 
in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, UAB, well, they're the complete opposite as UAB, they are 18th of the country in terms of total possessions per game. So it's going to be interesting to take a look at this simple war as Warren State has really reined it in with their defense. Overall for the season, they are 176th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, but towards back out of the season out in the OVC, they allowed 70 points or fewer in regulation all but two of their last 16 games. Meanwhile, you've got a UAB bunch that this team has just been a lightning rod with their offense. They have scored at least 76 points in all but two of their games since the beginning of the month of February and at least 72 points in all but one of them. So they've been able to do a nice job firing all cylinders with Jordan Jelly Walker supplying 23 points, four assists, shooting 39.5% from three-point range. You've got the Brewer brothers, Ladarius and Ty. They combine for seven boards, 14.5 points per game. Eric Gaines, four and a half assists, 1.9 steals, shoots about 35%. From three-point Trey Jemison has been able to give you about eight boards, multiple blocks per game as well to be able to help out down low. And for more, I'd say they are going to be a bit outgunned down low. They've only got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game, but I do like what Alex Gross does supply down low with two blocks, 12 points, seven and a half rebounds per game. And then you've got a pair of guys that shoot it well from three. And Jake Wolf along Drew Thelwell, they combine to shoot about 38.2% from three, 20.5 points per contest. Both give you between 2.6 and 2.8 assists per game as well. So I do think that Moritz State is going to be able to hold in there. They held Clemson to 64 points. As a matter of fact, they've given up 65 or fewer. And now each of their last six games, UAB, I certainly think that they're going to be snapping that streak. But I do think that with Moritz State, they're going to be able to supply enough offense to be able to hold in this game. I set my line at a 146.5. I'm going to be going over UAB. They're one of the very few teams in college basketball that are able to speed you up. I do think that Moritz State is going to get a little bit sped up in this spot. But I do think that Moritz State, with having a lot of good three-point shooters, they're going to be able to knock down enough shots to be able to hold in there as well. So I set my line at 12.5. We'll take the points with Moritz State and the over. 859, 860 on the board. It is Sam Houston State facing off with North Texas. North Texas, a 5 to 5.5 point favorite, and your total it is anywhere between 118 and 119. I need something north of a 118. Right now, I'm mostly seeing 118 and a half to 119. That is a spot where I'm willing to ride with the under. You've got two very supreme defenses. Sam Houston State, they're in the bottom 80 in terms of total possessions per game. North Texas, they are number 363 in terms of total possessions per game. Clear of everyone by about a possession and a half. And I mean, North Texas pairs that up with being 11th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And they go up against number 8 in total points allowed on a per possession basis in Sam Houston State. And Sam Houston State travels as well in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis away from home. They're actually 7th. So you've got a perfect storm brewing for what should be a very low scoring game. Now, I will say this about Sam Houston State. They shoot it well from three. They shoot 38.5% from three. That's a top 20 mark in all of college basketball today. Headline score in Quagrant. 14.2 points, four boards, four assists, two steals. Shoots 36% from three. And as a matter of fact, for Sam Houston State, among players that made at least one three this year, each out of your top seven shoot at least 35.9% from three-point range. Meanwhile, you've got another Texas team that they do a good job down low. They do a good job of being able to guard the perimeter. And Tyler Perry, you've seen him entertain on the silver screen. Now he's entertaining out there on the hardwood. He's been able to supply 70 points to assist. Shoots 42% from 
from three-point range, Abdul Usman. I do think he's going to be the best little post player in this game. For Sammy, as to say, you pretty much have eight guys that give you at least 2.9 rebounds per game, so they do a great job with that regard. But Usman, he's able to provide 11 points, six boards, a little bit over a block per contest. He should be the most dominant low post player. I think that how both teams defend the three is really going to dictate this game as you've got a North Texas team that overall they're 24th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And Sammy used to say they had a rough go of it against Grand Canyon, but all in all, they've still been able to do an okay job allowing opponents to shoot about 33.5% from three-point and their numbers are a little bit warped from Grand Canyon just catching fire on that day. Kai Huntsbury has been able to give you 12 points per contest for North Texas. And for North Texas, you do have guys like a Taj Edi, someone like a Jada Martinez that they were higher scorers at their previous stops. Martinez coming in from New Hampshire and they've taken on a nice role, but you do have a Sam Easton State team where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They're able to go right around 10 or so deep. I love what I'm seeing out of this team at Sam Easton State. They held Santa Clara to 56 points and they have given up fewer than 60 points so far. Their last five games, you do have a North Texas team that has actually gotten to at least 67 points each other last four games, so an interesting ordeal. Not willing to go any further lower than a 118 and after the under, but I'm going to be looking at the under. I do think that Sammy used to say with their versatility hangs in there, set this line at three. So we'll take five to five and a half with Sammy used to say and an under as long as the number is 118 and a half or higher. 861, 862 on the board. Oregon is going to be playing us to Central Florida. Central Florida is an underdog of four points with your total between 136 and a half and 137 and a half. I did set my total at 137. I'm mostly seeing 137 and a half out there. So I'm going to be willing to ride with the under. I would still rather have that 137 half under rather than the 136 half anyway, because what I've noticed with Central Florida is that their defense has been really, really good on the road, and it hasn't been so great when they have been at home for Central Florida in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They actually give up 1.2 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're in a road slash record environment, and they rank 10th of the country in points allowed on a per-possession basis away from home, 40th overall. So I do find that to be fascinating. Meanwhile, you've got an Oregon team that they've been having a little bit of a struggle, and Folly Dante, he has been dealing with injury towards back out of the season, missed the team's first-round game in the NIT and I fully expect him to be out of the full once again. You do have Will Richardson along Jermaine Cousinard in the backcourt. Both of these guys have been okay, but for Oregon, they don't do the greatest job of taking care of the ball. It's 1.2 turnovers per game while ranking right around 250th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Cousinard, Richardson, they combine for 25 points. They both shoot between about 33-34% from three, and now you're going to be looking down low a lot more at Khalil Ware along with Nate Biddle. Both of these guys give between 6.5 and 7 points per game. They combine for about 9 rebounds per game, and both give a little bit of a block per game. They're capable low post presence. For Central Florida though, I do think that they're going to do a nice job of being able to generate some turnovers. Their main defensive woes towards the middle of the season came when Darius Johnson was out of the fold. He's been the main on-ball defender for this team, being able to ball hawk and generate seals. 10 points, 4.3 assists, 2.2 seals per game. Since he's come back, that's been big. And then you do have Taylor Hendricks. He's a 6 for 9 combo player, 15 points, 7 boards, shoots 40% from 3. They're on there. CJ Kelly shooting 40% from 3 with 13.5 points per game. And I do think that Central Florida going to do a nice job of folding in there. I do think that Oregon is going to be able to win the game outright, even with Infali Dante dealing with injury. Guys like Warren Biddler sh- should be able to do a nice job down low. Central Florida doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of size, but Central Florida's defense does travel. Having to go from east to west is a little bit rough, but being able to get four points, I'm going to take that with Central Florida. I think that these teams are relatively equal on a neutral court. It is a Oregon team that you give them credit 
offense has scored 73 plus points in far their last five games. So I think that Central Florida does slow them down enough to be able to cover this number. We'll take four with Central Florida. Semi-total 137, so 137 half or higher looking at the under as well. 863, 864 on the betting board. Colorado is going to be taking on Utah Valley at home for Colorado. The home team between a four to a four and a half point favorite. Your total is between 144 and a half and 145. I did set this line at five. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Colorado. Colorado has been able to do a really good job with their defense, especially when they've been at home this year. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Colorado's 35th. Now, they have been dealing with some injuries. K.J. Simpson has been out of the fold for much of the back half of the season. I am quite sure that his season is done, unless if there is something that I have not been notified about. But you do have Tristan DeSilva. He's got good versatility. He's able to give you 16 points. It's about 49% from three-part range and then down low. The guy that has really been able to step in and take over the role of some of these injured big men, Luke O'Brien. Six points, 5.6 rebounds per game, but down the stretch, he has been magnificent as he's given the team seven plus rebounds in four of the team's last five games. Not necessarily too much of a score as he's had eight points or fear in three of the team's last four games, but he does an amazing job on the glass, and that's why Colorado had to turn over a little bit of a new leaf. Colorado out of conference. They were a top 50 team in terms of total possessions per game. When the calendar turned to 2023, they dropped outside the top 200. Now, Utah Valley is actually a... Top 50 team in terms of total possessions per game. They actually play relatively rapidly, but they've been really good with their defense as Utah Valley is clocking in 27th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, only giving up three more points per 100 possessions when they're in a roadside shoot record environment. And a lot of that is because they've got Aziz Bendadogo, who's been able to do a very good job down low for this bunch as he's been supplying 11.5 points, a little bit over 10 boards, three blocks per contest, and then you've got your trio in the backcourt for Utah Valley. Latre Dothart, Justin Harmon, Trey Woodbury. These three guys combined to give you 41 points per game. You get four and a half assists out of Woodbury, shooting 39.5% for a three-point range. Dothart, a little bit over a steal on 36.5% three-point shooting. Taj Schmall has come up big for the team as well with five points. He's able to help you out with a little bit of rebounding as well as Tim Fuller, but I do think that Colorado having a nice home court advantage that is going to be able to help them out, and I do think that this Colorado defense is really starting to come into their own as well, as other than that game against UCLA, they have given up 68 points or fewer in every one of their games here in the month of March, and for that matter, for Colorado, they have given up now fewer than 70 points in five out of their last six games. You do have a Utah Valley team that they themselves have given up fewer than 70 points in four of their last five games. Their offense has been clicking with 72 plus points in each of their last five games. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I think that defense is going to reign supreme, and I do think that home court advantage for Colorado is going to be big along Tristan De Silva being able to knock down some threes. So I did set my line at 141 on the total. Going to be looking at the under with Colorado. Made them a five-point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay four and a half and absolutely nothing more there. Now we've got a quadrant of games to be able to hit in the CBI. And this is going to be starting with 865, 866, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern time, tip time for Cleveland State and Eastern Kentucky. All four CBI games, by the way, out in Daytona Beach, Florida as Cleveland State. And we're trying to pick them to a one-point favorite, seeing them as a one-point underdog in some spots. Total saying between 146F and 147F. And with Cleveland State, I did set them as a two-point favorite. I'm willing to take them as a one-point favorite, or if you're getting them as an underdog, take the plus price on the money line. With Cleveland State, they have been playing at a relatively slow pace all season long. Outside the top 225 in terms of total possessions per game, Eastern Kentucky, they're a team that's looking to play much more rapidly. As Eastern Kentucky, they're clocking in 61st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And 
Both of these teams are going to be very willing to gamble for steals as Cleveland State has had a very rough time being able to guard the three-point arc. Eastern Kentucky has had a very rough time being able to guard the three-point arc, but I think the big difference here is the way that you've got Cleveland State being able to take care of the ball because you take a look at turnovers on a per-possession basis and Cleveland State right in the neighborhood of 60th in the country, but this actually ascends in a road-slash-year-to-court environment. They're in the top 25 nationally in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis when they do leave home. Meanwhile, for Eastern Kentucky, this team has been ranking more around 155th, so what has really been the bread and butter for them in past seasons has not necessarily so you've been there. And for Cleveland State, they only turn the ball over right around 11 and a half times per game. Kristen Iranura, along with Tate Williams, have been able to do a nice job down low, combined for 12 and a half rebounds per game with Iranura, 15 and a half points, steal, and a block per game. Now, Cleveland State only shoots about 31% from three point range. And for Eastern Kentucky, they do have some relatively good versatility with having Devontae Blanton and Michael Moreno being able to combine for about 28 points, combine for about 13 boards, and both shoot a combined 37.5% from three for Eastern Kentucky. They generate about eight steals per contest. They don't get a lot of dead ball steals. It's either a steal or they give you nothing whatsoever. They do only turn the ball over about 12 times per contest as well. Isaiah Cozart has helped out down low with seven rebounds per game, but they only shoot about 33.5% from three. Aside from Blanton and Moreno, you really don't have a lot from the outside for this team. You do have a team that has four different guys that do give you at least two assists per game, but I do think that Cleveland State has really been able to surge towards back half of the season. They've been able to do a much better job with their offense as well. Sands that game against Northern Kentucky in the Ryzen League final. They were able to get to at least 72 points at each of their final four games to close up shop in the regular season. Meanwhile, you do have an Eastern Kentucky team that they've been a little bit all over the place themselves, but they do come in having given up 52 points or fewer in two of their last three games. Part of that was a little bit of the schedule but I do feel like Cleveland State, they're a little bit more of a balanced team. They've got a little bit more in the backcourt to be able to carry them in this spot, and I do think that the scoring is going to suffer from this being such an early game. So I did set Cleveland State as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be one to take them as a one-point favorite slash as a money line underdog. Set my total 142, so also diving under 867, 868 on the betting board. Rice, we give our ode to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls, they're going to be playing against Duquesne. Duquesne is a six to six half point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 158 and a half and 159 with Duquesne. I did set them as a favorite of 7.5 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Rice. This team has just been dreadful on their defense. They are outside the top 260 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, I do like the versatility that you get out of Max Fiedler. Fiedler has been tremendous as a 6'11 do-it-all player, 10.7 points, 7.5 boards, 5 assists, a little bit over a block per contest, giving you double figures in each out of the last four games, but for Rice, they're really going to need to rely upon a good trio that shoots it well from three-point range as you've got Cameron Sheffield, who's able to shoot 38% from three, Quincy Oliveri, Travis Evie, these two guys have been able to combine for about 33.5 points, 5 assists, 2.2 steals, and they combine to shoot about 36.5% from three-point range. Give a little bit of credit to Kai Mason as well. He emerged towards back half of the season, being able to give the team 10 points. He's been able to shoot about 37.5% from three-point range this season as well, but for Duquesne, I do think that Dede Grant is the best peer scorer in this game. 15 points, 2.5 assists, shoots 40% from 3-point range. You've had Devin Brewer be a, more of a passer this year. He used to play at Florida International where he was putting up a good double-figure amount of points per game. Only about 7.5 points per contest this year, but shoots 44% from 3-point range. And Duquesne, I think, is a team 
that actually wants to be here. They've been able to do a much better job with their defense this year as well as in terms of points allowed per possession. They're right around 144th in the country. They do allow 10 more points per 100 possessions when they do leave home, but I do think that their collective is going to be able to do a nice job of be able to hit the glass as you've got five separate guys that give you at least five rebounds per game. Now, their leader in rebounds, Austin Rotroff, five points, five boards per contest. He did find himself a little bit in the doghouse towards back of the season, but I do like the way that the Bowling Green transfer in Joe Reese has been able to perform here down the stretch as he had a combined 29 points in the last two games of the regular season after being a little bit hampered by an injury throughout the campaign. Looks like he's gotten back to 100%, and I think that that's going to be key going up against a race team that comes in having given up 87 plus points in three out of their last four games. I do think that Duquesne is going to be able to rein it in just a little bit more here. Duquesne is more of a mid-tempo team and Rice, we did see them follow with their tempo a little bit more towards conference play as well. So I did set my total at a 155.5. This shooting environment at Ocean Center thus far has been a little bit rough, so I do lean to the under in this spot and I set Duquesne as a 7.5 point favorite, so want to lay the 6 and take a look at the under. 869-870 on the betting board. Tarleton State It's going to be playing against Radford out there in Daytona Beach, Florida. Tarleton State, a 1-2 to a two point favorite. And your total, it is between 135.5 and 137. And with Tarleton State, I did set them as a favorite of 4 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay it with Tarleton State. This is an all-or-nothing steal team. They're in the top 20 nationally in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, and they go up against a Radford team that it has been a very strange to watch them throughout the season because they're without their coach due to a either DUI or DWI charge. I don't think that he's going to be on the sidelines for this one as it's actually been his brother that has been coaching the team. So a little bit of a unique situation there, but we've got a pair of guys at Quan Smith along with Brian, Brian Antoine who have been able to combine for about 25 points per game. Would not be surprised if Antoine plays limited minutes in this game though because he was dealing with an injury towards back half of the regular season. Both of these guys shoot a little bit north of 40% for three. Radford as a whole, they do shoot 36.1% from three-point range and they're going to be going up against the Tarleton State team that they are one of those teams that I mentioned how good they are at being able to generate seals but they're an all-or-nothing steals team as they're about 149th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 11.4 points more per 100 possessions when they do leave home. Meanwhile, you've got a Radford team that is more around 161st in the country in terms of points allowed per possession, but they only give up eight-tenths of a point more per 100 possessions when they leave home. Down low, you've got a pair of guys in Traquan Jules and Justin Archer who will be able to give you about 13 rebounds, 14 and a half points per game between the two of them. And then when it comes to Tarleton State, it's a very top-heavy team with Freddie Hicks in terms of rebounding because he gives you 5.8 boards, 15 and a half points per game. He's the only guy that gives you north of four rebounds per game, but all across the board, you've got a lot of guys that they are able to put the ball in the basket. Skip to my Lou Williams. Shoots 48.5% for three, 10.5 points per game. You've got a pair of guys in Shamir Bogues along to Corey Smith that both give you between 9.5 and, and 10 points per contest with Bogues shooting 37% from three. You have a 40% three-point shooter in Tiger Booker who's been able to give you right around seven points per game. So Tarleton State is able to go about nine or so deep. They've got more depth than Radford. Radford was a little bit shaky with their defense towards back half the season as well. 69 plus points surrendered in four out of their last five games. It is a Tarleton State team that they themselves gave up 70 plus points in each of their last three games against D1 competition. They're not counting the non-D1 game that they played against Southwest Assembly of God or something 
like that, and I'm not even kidding when I say that, but I do think the Tarleton State is going to force Radford into some turnovers. Just felt like there was a lot of turmoil towards back half of the season with Radford, and I did sell my total out of 136. I'm mostly seeing 136 on the board. Honestly, I would rather have a 135.5 over rather than the 137 under as of right now, but I'm going to be taking a look at some of the line move that we get in the AM because I do think that this is a Radford team that they're just really looking to turn over a little bit of a different identity. It just feels like it's been a strange situation towards back half the season there. So, at current numbers, looking at the over of Tarleton State, one to lay up to three and a half with them. Set them as a four-point favor. We wrap things up with 871-872 on the board. Setson is going to be playing against EW Milwaukee. Setson playing in their home state of Florida is a two-point favor with your total between 157.5 and 158.5. I do recognize that Setson is relatively close to home as they are based out there in the state of Florida, but I still did say UW Milwaukee is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to be taking them outright on the money line. UW Milwaukee has been able to get really good production out of BJ Freeman towards back half of the season. Since the turn of the calendar, he has been averaging darn near 20 points per game on right around 37% three-point shooting. Now, overall for the year, 17 half points, five boards, three assists per game, but this guy has been just on absolute fire, 19 plus points at each of the last four games, and they go up against a Setson team that was one of the most interesting teams in all of college basketball, because you're actually going to have a tempo war in this one, despite the fact that both of these teams actually average a similar amount of points, because UW-Milwaukee, they just look to play fast, they're 13th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Stetson, on the other hand, they just don't play any defense, and they play a lot of offense. Stetson... They are 281st of the country in terms of total possessions per game, but not a lot of defense. 349th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 9.2 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home. UW-Milwaukee more around 193rd with this regard, and for Setson, you've got one guy that gives you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. That'd be Josh Smith, 9.8 points, 6.2 rebounds per game. Now, Stephon Switzen, Mr. Do It All in the backcourt, 10.5 points, 4.8 assists, 41.5% from three-point range, and then you've had Jamari Blackman be able to give you about 15 points per game he shoots 34.5% from three-point range. We got a 46% three-point shooter in Luke Brown as well, who's been able to do a nice job. But Setson, when they're not hitting shots, it just turns into a doomsday scenario. They have given up at least 83 points in three of their last four games. Meanwhile, you got a bunch in UW-Milwaukee that's given up 70-plus in each of their last five games. But this team has gotten to 80-plus in each of their last four as well. I did set my total at 156.5. I think you just come up a little bit short in terms of the amount of possessions that you need to be able to get it over. I don't think that there's going to be some defense play, but I also do think that UW-Milwaukee going to be able to win the battle on the glass as four out of your top five scorers to give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game as you've been able to have Ahmad Rand also give you two blocks per contest down low, and I do think that that's going to be a big difference. UW-Milwaukee should be able to win from within the 15 turnovers per game. A little bit unsightly, but sets in. They don't generate really any turnovers whatsoever as in terms of steals per game. Sets in currently clocking in with about 5.1 per contest, so I'm going to be willing to take UW-Milwaukee outright on the money line, South as a two and a half point favorite, made my total 156 half, so diving under as well. And that will wrap things up for the uh, Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Vison family and podcast. A big thanks to Jeff Parles, who does amazing work here at Vison, for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNRS41. Keep in mind, letters CM, maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast. I have that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.